Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. I remember as a young boy going camping on a specific trip with my dad, my best friend, and his father. We drove to the Appalachian Mountains of Pennsylvania and hiked back a ways to a beautiful spot by a stream. As we set up the camp, I was determined to make a ring of rocks for the campfire. I loved campfires, and I thought, well, this is important to have. We're going to have a campfire. So my friend and I grabbed all the nearby stones that we could find and started assembling a ring. We quickly, we quickly realized that there were not enough stones to finish the ring until we looked by the near stream. And in the stream, we looked, and we found some wonderfully large rocks in the river, and we finished the fire ring. That day, we hiked and explored and played. We ate good food and told stories. It was wonderful. And as the sun set, we lit the campfire and warmed our feet and dried off our shoes and our socks. We sat there for a long time, and then something happened. There was a loud bang! And one of the rocks in the campfire sprayed chunks of stone as it broke in half. We were lucky. No one was hit by the stones, but one of the shoes that were drying by the fire had a new hole ripped through it. And then there was another bang. What was happening? Well, Dad quickly figured out that me and my friend had gathered some stones from the river, and water had gotten into the cracks and the voids in those stones, and now they were exploding. They were exploding because that water was turning into steam inside the rocks and the pressure was building up. So we quickly removed the remaining stones that had been from the river and we rearranged the remaining stones in the ring. That's my closest experience I've ever had with a living stone. Rocks that explode. But stones don't live, at least not the ones that you use for campfires. Today, we're going to close out our series about the heart about the heart and the tongue. We have one last dimension to wrestle with, and that is God replacing our hearts of stone with new living hearts. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what God's Word has to say about our tongues and our hearts. The tongue is understood as the words we speak, or even more so, the tongue is a gateway to our heart, letting others know who we are and letting ourselves out into the world. And the heart is used to describe our personhood, our nature, our character. I'd remind you of the words of Jay Stowell that we read near the beginning of the series. The heart is used in scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It is a part of our being where we desire, deliberate, and decide. And it has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. The comprehensive term for the person as a whole, his feelings, desires, and passions, thought, understanding, and will, and it's the center of the person, the place where God turns. That's a great description of the heart. We've talked about over the last few weeks about how our culture seeks to devalue our tongue and our heart, proclaiming that they are supremely, and really, truly, our culture does this by proclaiming that our tongue and our heart are supremely our own that only I should have mastery and judgment over my own tongue and my own heart. 
but our tongue and our heart are tremendous treasures uniquely made by God. When we take them away from God's pers- from God's possession and make them just ours, we demean them, we lower them, and we lower ourselves. Now, the Bible has so much to say about the tongue and heart. We have learned over the last few weeks that our tongues are powerful, but we often divide them. We try to do good and bad with the tongue. We think we can bless and curse with our tongue, but we can't. We can only do one or the other. Because if we mix it, blessing and cursing, we only really end up with cursing. We've learned that our hearts are precious because they are uniquely and lovingly made by God. We talked about how our our hearts are treasure houses and that whatever the heart is full of will flow out of our mouths and into our lives. So we need to be careful what gets put into our hearts. And so we talked last week about guarding our hearts because they are a wellspring of life. Our heart is designed to be the seat of our ability to love God, to serve God, to believe in God, and God has even set eternity into our hearts. But if you're like every other person on this planet, your heart has not been guarded well. None of us are born guarding our hearts, and some of us did not have parents who were mindful in guarding our hearts. So, through this series, you may have been understanding all the more how precious your heart is, but you might have been feeling like your heart is a train wreck. It's too broken, too damaged, too stuck in sin, and what do I do now, you might be thinking. Well, the gospel gives us great hope, because in the gospel, we find the good news of Jesus, that Jesus, God's Son, died for the forgiveness of our sins. He died to restore our hearts. And that is what I want you to hear today. God is in the heart restoration business. He desires to give you a new spiritually healthy heart. He does this first through Jesus and then continues to breathe life into our hearts through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Whether you have never believed in Jesus before and held, at arms le- held him at arm's length, or if you are a Christian who feels stuck or even dead in your spiritual life, God wants, you to, wants to give you a new heart. And so I have a simple verse for us to begin with today. And God is speaking to his people, the Israelites, about their hearts. And it tells us about his desire to give us a new heart. And it says this in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, just one verse. God speaks and says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Here's a little bit more camping wisdom if you really wanted it. I know you didn't really want it, but here it comes anyway. In my years of camping, I learned very quickly how to spy out a good place to set up a tent. You want a place that will be dry. So never set up a tent by a dry riverbed or a place where you think water will pool if it rains all week. I have experienced that during summer camp. Yeah, you set up your tent in just a little bit of a low spot and as the rain falls all week, it just gets wetter and wetter. So you want a place that will be dry. You also want a place that's level. It's miserable to sleep sleep on even a bit of ground that has just a slight bit of slant to it. Undoubtedly, if there's even just a little bit of slant, you'll wake up sliding out of where you started the night, and that's no fun. When you're finding a place to put your tent, look up. 
Make sure that surrounding trees are healthy. Beware of dead or hanging branches. And then uh, where we're really going for this is look down. Make sure the spot you intend to set up is clear of branches, roots, and yes, rocks and stones. I've had too many nights when I realized at 2 a.m. that my sleeping bag was on top of a stone and there was no real way to fix it until morning. A stone in the middle of your back can make for a miserable night's sleep, and a stone in place of our heart can make for a miserable life and a miserable eternity. In the book of Ezekiel, God is speaking to Israel, his people. He loves them, but they've betrayed him. They've not been faithful to him, and they now have hearts of stone because of their sin. They've broken covenant with him. And I think we need to understand, breaking covenant is even deeper than breaking contract. This covenant is the deepest commitment of trust and relationship that can be had between two people. And perhaps we need to remember that marriage is designed to be a marriage covenant, not contract. We often think of contracts in marriage, but it's a covenant. It's dangerous to break it. And this is how God describes his relationship with his people, a marriage, a marriage covenant. And over and over, Israel is unfaithful. They break their covenant. And each time they are unfaithful, they damage themselves. They scar their hearts. They don't know it. They just think they're doing what they want for themselves and what seems good for themselves in the moment. But every time they scar their heart and they damage their relationship with God. But wonderfully, God is not content to simply declare his people unfaithful. He wants to restore them. He wants to restore us to himself as well. So he uses heart language. He wants to give us a new heart to replace our hearts of stone, to replace Israel's hearts of stone. Are our hearts really stone? Is it really that bad? What is a stone heart like anyway? Well, in just a few words, we could say this. A stone heart is lifeless. A stone heart cannot beat. It cannot move. It cannot force blood through the body. It cannot feel. And even at our very best, without a new heart, our efforts are still lifeless because we have that stone heart in us. The problem is most of us never know it. And that's the thing. You might be going, do I really have a stone heart? It doesn't seem like it. I seem to enjoy life pretty well. But I would ask you this. Can you explain the color red to a person who has always been blind? Or can you explain Beethoven or Bach to a person who has never heard sound? And it's the same way with the life that comes from God. We are born separated from that life because of our sin. We may live well, But our living well is pale compared to the real life that is found in Jesus. Somehow, we all think we can describe life and living without knowing the maker of life. It just can't be done. Somehow, we think we can live well and experience life to the fullest without leaning into the heart of God. The truth is, our very best efforts with our stony hearts are still lifeless. Our best living is only a slow walk into the death that sin has given us. Henry David Thoreau writes this, The price of anything is the amount of life that you exchange for it, and the price of sin is death. 
Romans 6.23 tells us this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So a stony heart, well, we can describe it as lifeless. We could also describe it as loveless. A stone heart cannot love with real love for the very same reasons it's never known real love. Relationships both healthy and unhealthy are the result of love and lovelessness. And yes, a stony heart, it's loveless. A stony heart's also graceless. Because a stone heart is hard and unforgiving. I think of nights sleeping with a stone in my back. Oh, how miserable and inescapable that is. And a stone heart is also graceless. It's inescapable. It's hard on others, even those it claims to love. A stone heart can make you hard on yourself and unforgiving. It's graceless. And a stone heart is hopeless because it has no life has no love, has no grace. No, none. It may think it does, but it doesn't have any of real life, love, and grace. And so there's no hope for the future. So you might be asking, well, how does one harden their hearts? Well, through sin, we know that. But the heart can be hardened slowly by keeping others out warding away family, friends, warding away others that care about us, and especially by keeping out God. Every time we turn away from God, our heart gets a little harder. When we choose to be selfish, we harden our hearts because we're putting ourselves first. And we were not designed to put ourselves first. We were designed to have a relationship with God. So selfishness will lead to a stony heart. And yes, I said it before, and it's the biggest thing we need to see. Our hearts become hard because we choose to feast on sin instead of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Sin hardens the heart. There's no way around it. W.H. Auden writes these words, The desires of the heart are as crooked as corkscrews. What a phrase that is, crooked as corkscrews. And yeah, that's true of our hearts. Even when we think we want what is good, I'll really, most of us hunger for sin. We've got the sin nature built into us. R.C. Sprawl says this, The word of God can be in the mind without being in the heart. But it cannot be in the heart without first being in the mind. And so I think a lot of us might live life knowing about God understanding what the Bible says, but we don't let it into our hearts. You know, the hardest journey you will ever make in life is about 18 inches long from your head to your heart. Some of you listening right now have not yet made that journey. I would encourage you to do that. Make that journey. Take the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Jesus, and let him into your heart. If you're willing to make that journey, you can receive a new heart. Hannah Anderson says this, When we are denied the very things our hearts long for, we learn to long for the one thing that will never be denied to us, God himself. Sometimes, I might be taking Hannah out of context, sometimes we need to deny the things we want that we know aren't good for us so that we will begin to hunger for God in a healthy way. We can have a new heart if we let Jesus in, and if we let the Holy Spirit renew us. (sighs) 
So if a stone heart is so hard and miserable, then a new heart, well, it's the reversal of all of this. A new heart is full of life, real life from God. A new heart is full of love. It's full of grace, forgiveness. It's flexible, right? So it's forgiving and it's full of hope. So how do we get a new heart? Well, Psalm 51, 10 through 12 speaks about getting a new heart. I want to share these words with you. They're from King David, and he's crying out to God. He has sinned, and now he seeks a restored heart. And so he he writes these words, and he, he sings these words to God. It says in verses 10 through 12, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David asks for a pure heart. He asks for a steadfast spirit. He asks for a willing spirit. He knows that his sin has marked his heart and it's made it stony. And he's, his heart wants to fight against what God wants. But David doesn't try to make his own heart pure. That, I, we, we need to hear that. He calls out to God. And he doesn't try to say to God, I'm going to make my heart pure, God. I I realize I did wrong. I'm going to make myself better. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to strengthen myself so that I'll be better next time. He doesn't try to say, "I'll, I'll be steadfast for myself for now, Lord. I'm sorry that I did wrong. He doesn't decide to become more steady in trying to do what's good. David cries out and he asks God to do all this for him. He says, Lord, you need to Create in me a pure heart. Lord, you need to renew in me a steadfast spirit. You need to grant me a willing spirit. David's saying, you know what, Lord, I can't do this on my own. The only way I'm going to replace my stony heart with a renewed, pure heart is if you do it, God. And so today, we must do the same thing. We can exchange our stone hearts for flesh ones, for living ones. When we ask Jesus into our life. So today, if you've never done that, know that you can have a new heart through Jesus Christ by calling him Lord of your life, by confessing your sin, by believing in what Jesus did on the cross and receiving his salvation. But we also exchange our stone hearts for a living one and a continuing work. We have the initial forgiveness through Jesus, but then we have the continuing work that God does through the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a process because so many of us walk life and we say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus, but you know what? My heart doesn't really feel new. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, Lord, my heart's more rocky than it is fleshy? My heart is more stone than it is life-giving? Well, the first thing, if our hearts don't feel all that new, we need to ask ourselves, well, maybe we have sin that needs to be dealt with, and we may need to repent and renew a relationship with God. This is what happens when we declare Jesus Lord of our lives. We, we repent and we renew. And so today, maybe you're sitting here going, oh man, my heart just doesn't feel all that lively. Well, examine yourself. Do you need to renew your relationship with God? Don't wait to do that. Don't just pretend like it'll get better later. You need to renew now. Thomas Akempis says this, For a small reward, a man will hurry away on a long journey. While for eternal life, many will hardly take a single step. And there are a lot of Christians who have fallen back in their faith. 
and they have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, but then they have also jumped back into sin. Be willing to take that single step towards eternity. Renew your relationship with Jesus. I'd also remind you this. You may have sin that needs to be dealt with, and that's why you don't feel like your heart's very new. But some of us, the memory of our sin is strong. And I would say this, the memory of our sin does not mean we are still held guilty for our sins. We are not meant to feel shame. We are meant to remember and be grateful for what Jesus has done. So we're not meant to feel shame. But sometimes the enemy reminds us of our sin so that we might be bound up by a new type of shame. But Romans 10, 11 says this, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him, meaning Jesus, will never be put to shame. And Romans 5, 5 says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, if you're feeling shame as a Christian, first check to make sure you're not wrestling with undealt with sin, but then remember that Jesus does not intend for us to live in shame. It might be an attack of the enemy. It might be us reliving the memory of our sin in a way we're not supposed to. We are made new in Jesus, but we also need to remember we're still a work in progress, and sometimes that's what we experience when we don't feel like we are all that uh, new and vibrant in our hearts, and we feel more stony than new. We forget we're still a work in progress. We're not finished yet. I was reading a commentary on this passage from Ezekiel, and one commentator's name is Duggard, said this, and I think this is important words for us to realize, is uh, sometimes we need to remember our sins because we grow in appreciation. And so he writes these words, as we grow in our appreciation of the gospel, we do not view ourselves in a better and better light. Rather, with Paul, we understand the true offensiveness of our sin. So, what he is saying is this. It's very natural for the Christian, as we grow in our understanding of the gospel, as we mature in Christ, it's really right for us to not just think that we're better and better. Instead, we really understand who we really are in our sins, how much we really needed Jesus. And that's why Paul says he's the greatest of sinners. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul writes these words, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So, as we stay faithful in Christ, we will realize all the more how incredible His forgiveness and love is. Because it's easy to forgive a mistake, isn't it? It's easy to forgive an accident, but it is far harder to forgive a deliberate wrong, a willful disobedience, an act of hatred done towards you. When Jesus forgives us, he's doing just this. He's forgiving you and me completely of all of our sins. He forgives our mistakes, he forgives our accidents, and he forgives our selfish moments and our darkest shames. One of the wonders of the gospel is that the memory of our stony hearts reminds us how much more we need Jesus. And that is something to rejoice over and to celebrate. Yes, how wonderful the forgiveness of Jesus is. Eugene Peterson says this, A life of faith isn't meant for tourists. It's meant for pilgrims. It's a journey. It takes time. It's it's not going to just happen in a moment. 
But when I read that quote from Eugene Peterson, I think some of us are struggling to feel our new hearts because we're acting more like tourists. We're just visiting Christianity. We haven't decided to live there yet. And so my challenge is, stop visiting. Live there. Let Christ into your heart. Let him do something new. We're being asked to trust in God's power when it comes to our heart and to participate in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Today, will you let God in and take your heart of stone and replace it with a new, vibrant, living heart? Let us pray. Almighty God, you have made our hearts precious and wonderful, yet our hearts are also scarred by sin. Lord, I pray that we would not turn away from your renewing work in us. Help us to see clearly our need for you to remove our stone hearts, that we would be continually willing to let you shape and renew our hearts day by day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.